Today we continue a series entitled, Better Together. Better Together. And this is a series on the importance of small groups and the many benefits that come with walking through life with one another. How many of you have ever heard this statement, quote, or something to the, to the effect of, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, go with one another. Go together. And I think we understand this concept in other areas of our life, don't we? I mean, if you look at an Olympic gold medalist, that's a pretty impressive individual, right? But can I tell you how many coaches, medical staff, trainers, uh, uh, um, other peer athletes that they've gone up against in practice, in training, they didn't become who they were by themselves, just to simply put it. I think we know this to be true in many other areas of life, But I think when it comes to church, we view it as an individual sport. And so, listen, as we dive into this today, I think some of us, you might recognize some of this content. I think Pastor Wayne preached on something similar to this almost about three years ago. But as our teaching team came together and as we were discussing, you know, what do we feel like God wants to say, we just felt like we couldn't get away from this. And and we just felt like God wanted to reemphasize something to us today. And, and so as we dive in, I want to ask you a question, but before I do, just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever participated in a team sport or team activity? Just kind of raise your hand up. Awesome. I loved sports growing up. You might not know by looking at me, but I was athletic in my, in my younger days, and I played a lot of sports, um, excelling at some and, you know, not excelling at others. Uh, I, was, I was a pretty decent baseball player. I was a pitcher. I played shortstop. My brother was a catcher, so Naturally, we were able to train and, and practice together. Uh, I played football. I was decent at it until uh, all my peers outgrew me. And then I was like, okay, maybe this isn't the sport for me. But always had a love for the game. Um, you, everybody hits a point where you just kind of stop growing, right? And so uh, later on, I would go on uh, to do gymnastics. I competed uh, men's gymnastics. I did rings and competed that uh, for years. Uh, my team got, we took state. Uh, in Texas, went on to get third in nationals. Um, how many of you have ever been a part of a great team that you just know it's almost like there's never going to be anything quite like that again, right? Like some teams are special. And, and that was one of those special teams. And, but there was one sport that I just was not born to play. I just was not as athletic in this one as I was in other ones. If you're athletic in this sport, I kind of envy you because I was always the one that was like, I'm familiar with it, I understand it, I enjoy watching it, I'll watch games, but I just am not the one you want on your team. That game is basketball. Do you have any basketball-challenged people in here? <laughs> so getting off the ground is not your specialty, like me. And so, um, but my friends loved basketball. And so they, we would always play something. You know, we, if we played soccer, I was down. If we played football, I was down. If we played baseball, I was down. But if we played basketball, I would try to to get out of it as much as I could because it's just embarrassing. You know, there's things where you're like, I know I'm going to make a fool of myself. And my friends sometimes just wouldn't let me get out of it. So here's what I would do. I would show up, uh, you know, in my younger years, dressed basketball shoes, basketball shorts, cut off sleeves, headband. Yeah, I could do the whole thing. And I'd get on the court. And I was athletic enough to be quick. I could, you know, um, intercept passes and catch rebounds and, and, and sprint and I, I could even dribble enough, you know, through the legs, make you think that I knew what I was doing, but I could not put the ball in the basket. And so what I would do is, is I would avoid being open. 
I would avoid being open as much as I could. You know, when people are like, get, I'm, I'm trying to pass the ball, man. Get open. And you're like, ah, I got this cramp in my leg. Uh, you, you'd make, I'd make up an excuse. Um, and so I, I would view basketball as just good cardio. You know, I'm going to run up and down the court and get, get my heart beat up. It's going to be good. Um, I would try to be an optimist about it. Um, and, and then whenever I would get the ball, immediately I would try to find the first person open to get that ball out of my hands into somebody else's. Here's, here's the reality, man. I was real familiar with basketball. I love watching playoff games basketball. Man, there, there's something about uh, that high level of competition and seeing people compete. I was familiar. I could tell you the rules. I could tell you what to wear. I could tell you a lot of things about it. But here's, at, the, at the end of the day, here's the reality. I was not a participant of basketball. There was always a hesitation about me. There was always a piece of me that held back that said, I, I'm here, I'm present, I, I, I have the look, but I'm not exactly 100% in. And I think sometimes in church, we can get real familiar with one another without fully participating in each other's lives. I want to ask you the question today. When it comes to church, when it comes to relationships in here, is it possible that we're showing up for the game without participating in it? I think the reality is that when Christ followers participate in one another's lives, it changes us. And I want to talk to you this morning on this subject of participating in one another's lives and not just being familiar. Um, I think there are different types, different levels of engagement when it comes to relationships today. And so I want to just talk through this together. I think there are two different levels of relationship. We're going to call this one right here community. And, and, and community happens when, when common interests are, are the thing that bring us together. So I think what happens here is, you know, your kids play soccer, my kids play soccer. We're in a, a common setting, and so we're going to hang out, and we're going to get to know each other because of soccer, um, or, or how many of you have ever gone on like a double date, or you've been with people and said, we've gone out to eat, or maybe you've gone to their home. You can have community that way, and, and community will take you to a certain level of relationship with people, and this is great. I love community. I've got nothing against community. Uh, I've, I've had people in my home. I've been to other people's homes, and I've really enjoyed a lot of aspects of this, but it's really based around what we have in common. And you can find this at uh, a country club. You can find this at the YMCA. You can find this at a gym. I found this at a boxing club that I was doing for a while there, and, and I really got to know everybody there, and that was great. But then there's this other aspect of relationship. And we're going to call this aspect of relationship fellowship. And I want to tell you a few stories about some people that I've known that have really changed my life because the level of relationship changed from community to fellowship. And then we're going to unpack what this word really means. Well, I can tell you when I was 16 years old and I first started going to church, I met somebody named Jake Mills. He was my youth pastor at the time. And, and, and at 16, when I gave up certain things and I stopped doing drugs, stopped selling drugs, stopped going to parties, I, I kind of made some changes there for a second. He was the first person to sit me down and ask me some really difficult questions. He was the first person to really give me perspective and, and not just ask the question, Justin, is this right or wrong, but is the decision you're making wise? And in a lot of ways, his thumbprint is still on my life. I am 
in large part who I am because of Jake. He really gave me my first thoughts about who God is, if you will. Fast forward to his little brother. His name was Michael Hendon. And I met Michael. He was my first Christian friend that I met. And he was the same age as me. And, and Michael and I would have conversations around how do we live for God in high school? How do, we, how do we really make the right decision in every situation, every moment, every minute of every day? How do we do that? And, and he would ask me hard questions, and I'd ask him hard questions. We were really accountable to one another. How many of you have a friend, like, you kind of know each other's junk, right? And, and he was that friend for me. And, and what I can tell you about Michael Hendon is Michael Hendon really walked with me through my high school years. And kept me accountable and, would, and was a good friend. I mean, we would, we would worship together. We'd pray together. He, he, was, he was a friend. Fast forward to college. I can tell you about a girl named Heather Narrett who would wake up on our only off day. We had to do 50 hours of internship, or, or I'm sorry, 50 hours of community service on top of a full course load, on top of an internship, on top of serving at the church. And, and on top of regularly scheduled discipleship times where we would come together corporately, you could call it like a leadership meeting, uh, where we would do all of this, and it was her only day off, and she would wake up at 6 a.m., go into downtown Dallas, serve in a soup kitchen, come back by 11. And I watched her life, and, and I watched how she talked about God. I watched how she was passionate about serving other people and putting other people's needs before hers. And, and, and that girl challenged my faith to go beyond myself and to really learn how to serve other people. Later on, she would go on to change her name to Heather Lyles. I really won in that equation. Um, she did a lot of things for me, like help me, helping make sure I went to class during college. That's besides the point, but um, she was good for me in, in not just practical ways, but for my faith as well. I could tell you about my internship director, who would who we'd go on these trips. And, and he, would, he would speak at these school assemblies. He would speak in churches. He'd do these night rallies. He'd go do conventions and camps where thousands of students would be. And it was like every time he touched the microphone, it was gold. It was like people were responding, making decisions for, for Jesus. And we'd get in the car afterwards, and he would say, okay, Justin, I want you to answer these questions for me. Tell me one thing practical you learned, and tell me one thing spiritual you learned. And we would dialogue, and he would talk about the call of God on his life and the call of God on my life, and what God wanted to do in me, and how God had called me to similar things as him. Can I tell you, he helped me understand who I am in God, what God called me to, and, and helped me understand what steps to take to get into ministry and to pursue that. His name was Wayne Northup. I could tell you about Josh Loomis, who's an intern at our church this summer, who has asked me to coffee and asked me to go get lunch. And, and it, you kind of just like, you know, you say yes to something, but you don't really know what the content's going to be. And we'd sit down and he'll just go, man, teach me something about God. He'll go, man, tell me how to get into ministry. How do I do what you do? How do I? And, and every time we get together, he's asking questions about his faith. And we've really developed a friendship there. Um, and he's really encouraged me and helped me understand, man, God still calls people. God still is doing things in young people's lives. I could tell you about, about person after person. I could tell you about David McMullen, who I've had more conversations with about how to be a, a, a husband and how to be a father and how to lead my family by following God first and putting God first in those areas where nobody else has influenced those areas of life more than he has. You want to know what's at the center of each of these relationships? 
our common interest in Jesus. There's a difference between community and faith. And, and the difference here is, you know, when you, when you hear of somebody that has had a powerful faith story or a mature faith or, or, or a faith that, that is maybe even profound, it's always going to involve conversations or a series of conversations where somebody came into their life, participated, and pushed them closer to Jesus. And it usually goes like this. You know, there I was just living my life, and I wasn't asking for this person. I wasn't even looking for this. And then they just kind of came in, and they, they were just different. They started asking me things nobody else would ask me. They started involving themselves in my life where nobody else really cared to involve themselves. They were a different kind of person to me. The difference is that they chose to participate. And my life, like yours, has been altered by people who were willing to go a layer deeper than the surface. People who were willing to participate in my life. I want you to hear me on this. Whenever you hear a powerful faith story, it always involves providential relationships. And I want to speak to you today on the subject of taking back fellowship. Taking back fellowship. Would you pray with me today? Just bow your heads. Lord, I just pray that this morning you would speak. God, I pray that this word fellowship, by the time that we leave, would mean something completely different to us than it did when we came in. God, I pray that the word of God would speak loudly and would, would, would hit us, God, right where it matters. God, that you would kind of mess with us today. And God, I just pray that we would leave here desiring fellowship more than we did when we came in. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to dive into the text, and if you have your Bible, I'll, I'll let you know it's in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. You can read along with us, and the Bible reads like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, this passage is about the early church. I, th I think you could say it's about the very birth of the church. And at this point in time, the Holy Spirit had come. Peter, who was a disciple, had preached and they'd seen 3,000 people saved. And now there's, there's beginning to be this establishment of this movement called the way, called Christianity, an establishment of Christ followers who, who are, are coming together and they're meeting in homes. And, and this thing is growing but I want to make something clear here today that these people that signed up for this following Christ thing, what they were really signing up for was persecution. What they were really signing up for was ridicule. What they were really signing up for was a possible uh, execution, a, a loss of their life, death. Make no mistake about it, when they made decisions to say yes to Christianity, say yes to the way, they were putting a clock on their life that was only ticking down. 
because Christians were being hunted down and persecuted and murdered. And so when they were saying, yes, this wasn't a half-hearted, I'm kind of on the fence about it. This was 100%, I'm in it. And, and listen to this, because despite the danger and the stress that came with it, we see this beautiful picture of the early church. The Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's, that's, that's uh, the word of God. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's prayer. They devoted themselves to, I love the way the Bible puts it, eating with one another, hanging out with one another. It doesn't, the early church didn't look like a great big business, a great big organization. Can I tell you what it really looked like? It really looked like a great big family. And, and, and so they were listening to teaching, breaking bread, meeting together, even selling property. They were praising God together. And, and the Bible says that new people were being added every day. And, and there's this word in the middle of all that right between prayer, right between Bible, there's something that God puts right in the middle of it to tie it all together. And, and it's the word that I want to focus on for a few minutes. It's this word fellowship. In the dictionary, this word is described as the community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience. And I think fellowship is a word we use pretty lightly today. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, man, let's go fellowship over some crawfish or Hey, man, why don't you come over and watch the football game? We'll fellowship. How many of you have ever heard somebody kind of use it in kind of that way? And, and, I, and I get the intent. The intent is good, but I think it's correct and, and a little in error at the same time because I'm trying to think of the early church using that word so flippantly. I'm trying to think of people that have a target on their head using the word fellowship so lightly. Because every time they got together, they were in danger of somebody barging through the door, arresting them, persecuting them, throwing them in prison, and then possibly executing them. And so there's this idea of earthly fellowship. It kind of sounds more like community the way that we use it, where it's just, we're just going to come together because of common interests. But the early church had their own word that they used. And it doesn't even translate fully into English because it meant so much more in the Greek. And our English language is so limited that the only word that we have to even touch what it really meant is the word fellowship. And so today we're going to kind of take back the word fellowship. The early church had their own word. And it meant more to them than it does to us. The Greek word that the New Testament uses for fellowship is this word called koinonia. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. And the definition of that is sharing in common union. And koinonia is a term found in Greco-Roman literature to express the mutuality and commitment characteristic that's found in marriage. So, so in other words, where there's true koinonia happening among believers it's much like the intimacy of a marriage relationship. So now that we kind of understand this, I want to just kind of use some word association so you can kind of understand what koinonia means in this context. It means words like togetherness, harmony, trustworthiness, confidentiality, understanding, commitment, affinity, union. It means something so different than just, hey, let's just go hang out and do something together, doesn't it? It almost implies that if we're going to be hanging out, that something else kind of has to happen. And, and I think there's a difference between our, our version of fellowship and this word that the Bible gives us, koinonia. And I want to kind of replace fellowship with koinonia. I want to take back this word because the definition of fellowship is really a relationship that revolves around a common interest. It looks more like community. 
But koinonia relationships, those revolve around Jesus as the common interest. And I think every single one of us in this room, we really have three levels that we'll go with people. I think every relationship that you have could be categorized in one of these three different levels of conversation and relationship. Look at every relationship you have, and they're going to go one of these three ways. I think many of us have surface relationships. I think we'd all agree that. We all have people that we don't, we, we probably never have them over in our house, but we talk weather with them. We'll talk sports. We'll talk food. We'll talk very surface level things, right? I'll tell you this, I managed the PJ's Coffee House for two years, and there were people every day that I could tell you what they drink, I could tell you their kids' names, I could tell you what their kids drink, I could tell you what kind of car they drive, but even with all that knowledge, those relationships were surface. Uh, The second level of relationship I think we all have is personal, and I think a lot of community relationships make this jump. Uh, I think we have relationships where we'll include people on what's going on with our family. How many of you have somebody where you'll ask how a relative is doing? Hey, man, how's your sister? How's your brother? I heard somebody was in the you know, hospital, or I heard some of this. I'm just, you know. We have people in our lives that will even go there. We'll talk about family. We'll talk about health issues with people. We'll talk about uh, career paths and, and plans for you know, dreams that you have. And, and you'll share even some stuff that maybe is not even the easiest to share. You'll get personal with people. I think many of us have personal relationships. And then there's this third level. And I think this third level of relationship is the most, most intimate, deep level of relationship that you can have. It's spiritual. We have spiritual relationships. And, and, and in these kind of relationships, these are the people that will, that will look at you after a long week or after a, a highlight reel event, and they'll look at you and say, hey, man, how's your soul? How you doing? How's this? Can I just say, we're not, we're not physical bodies that have souls. You know what we really are? We're souls that have physical bodies. This is why you can have a need met. You can have somebody give you money, somebody give you a car, somebody give you a house, somebody give you any kind of need that might cause stress and anxiety, and it's only going to be temporary because if you don't fix this, then you've not fixed anything. And so these spiritual relationships really have a level of depth that cut through the nonsense. They cut through the small talk of surface. They cut through even, they bypass the personal, and they don't just say, hey, man, how's your family member? They go, hey, how can I pray for you? What is your soul feeling? What are you walking around with? What's going on in here? And as Christ followers, I think the goal of our relationship should always be spiritual. It should always be koinonia, But it begs the question, how does this happen? What's the difference between friendships, relationships, conversations, and activities that happen at this seat and the ones that happen at this seat? Because I think, honestly, here's what I think. I think both seats, I think both groups will walk with you and they'll celebrate success with you. You'll find friends in both. You'll, 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 You'll go through seasons of life with both. You might even suffer with one another in both. But only koinonia keeps God part of the equation. Only koinonia relationships confront you and say, man, have you talked to God about this? Have you prayed on that? Have you really brought this to the Lord? Have you really dealt with this and and asked God what he needs to do in you before you even make a decision? Only koinonia relationships will look at you and say, man, we're going to expect God to do more than we can do. 
Only koinonia relationships remind us what God has done and what he's capable of still doing. Only koinonia relationships provide perspective because they center us back in our faith. They center us back in our foundation. So how does koinonia happen? Well, I think the answer to the fellowship slash koinonia question is found in Scripture in verse 42 and 43. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I love that the Bible says a deep sense of awe. An awe of what? I don't think it was an awe of something. I think it was an awe of someone. 